You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would come by the power of your spirit in great might that our eyes would be open for the need of you and that we might run to you, our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. Someone and I were talking recently about sports in the 1990s, and what was remarkable about the conversation is that we really had a hard time remembering who won anything. But we could remember clearly who lost. That is, those people who almost made it, but lost time and time again. And the two teams that marked that out are, of course, in the 1990s, the Buffalo Bills, who made it to the Super Bowl, I don't remember how many times, but never won it. And even though the Braves won in 96, uh, that victory was only that much sweeter because of their failures up to 1996. They made it so far, and they were so close, and yet they missed it all together. In fact, sometimes being so close to something brings greater heartache. You've come so far only to fall short, to miss it by an inch or a million miles is all the same. You missed it. And our scribe in the story today, in the encounter with Jesus, is one who has come so close, but has missed it completely. The conversation enters in because this scribe who's aligned with the Pharisees has been listening in on a conversation that Jesus is having with the Sadducees. Judaism, in Jesus' day, excuse me, was dominated primarily by two groups, the Sadducees, who tended to be a little bit more progressive, and the Pharisees, who tended to be very conservative. And the scribes, more often than not, were lumped in with the Pharisees. They followed after that. And Jesus is having an argument with the Sadducees that is of great importance to a Pharisee because they're talking about one of the main points that divides the Sadducees from the Pharisees. That is the resurrection of the body. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, but the Pharisees do. And so this Pharisee, this scribe, he likes what Jesus is saying. He hears Jesus articulating the side of the Pharisees. Jesus is affirming his already well-established beliefs. And so he comes up and says to Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? But from what follows, is this really a question? At least, is it a question looking for an answer? Or is it that this scribe is actually looking for affirmation for what he already believes? Well, the text shows us that indeed it is the latter. Because when Jesus tells him, the most important commandment is this, The Lord our God is one God, and you're to love him with everything that you have, and your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe says to him, you are right, teacher. Well done, you. And then he goes on to reiterate Jesus' answer. But then we wonder, who's interviewing who? Because the man asked him a question, and he thinks that it's a sealed deal when Jesus, after he says, yes, you're right about all of this stuff, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, Jesus said to the scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. All of a sudden, the scribe has been put on his back foot. It's Jesus who is interviewing the scribe, not the other way around. And what Jesus says is chilling, isn't it? You're close, but not there. Especially when this scribe believes that he's already arrived. This scribe hopes to be reconciled to God through the strength of his convictions and adherence to the law. That's what he's articulating. I believe what I believe with great sincerity, and I'm doing my best to do what God has commanded me to do. I must be in. And Jesus says, you're close, but you're not in. In fact, Jesus goes after even his sincerity. As Fitz Allison once said to me, Andrew, sincerity is the most overrated of all the virtues. We can believe all kinds of things very sincerely, but that doesn't make them right. And so this man thought he knew how to be reconciled to God, and yet he was close, but not reconciled. And the way that he thought he would be reconciled is through obedience to the law. And yet Jesus says the law cannot save you. And this is what we do at every single communion service. When we read the words of Jesus to love God with everything that you have in your neighbor as yourself, what is your response? Do you say, on my way to heaven? No, or do you say, yeah, that sounds good. We say what? Lord, have mercy. And even if we were to follow the law perfectly, Do we understand that we would still fall short? Because the righteousness that Jesus gives us by virtue of his death and resurrection exceeds any righteousness that might come by the law. This is what St. Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. He's talking about the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments on Sinai. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. Because of the glory that surpasses it. Paul is saying that the law is glorious. God's demands on our life are right and true. Should we love God with everything that we have? Should we love our neighbor as ourselves? Of course. 
But Paul here says, echoing what Jesus is trying to get across to this scribe, is that the ministry of the law is one of death and one of condemnation. The law is the mirror that shows us that our faces are dirty, but it isn't going to clean it. We need the soap and water of the gospel to do that for us. The comparison that Paul is making is like that of the sun and the moon. Uh, Recently, I don't know why in the past year, we've had such brilliant moons, so bright that you really don't need a night at light to walk around. This has happened several times, and it is amazing, and it's brilliant. But what happens when the sun comes up? The moon's still there, right? Think back to 10th grade, astronomy, right? The moon is still there, but why can't we see it anymore? Because of the brilliance of the sun. The moon of the law has its brilliance, but in light of the glory and mercy and good news that we have in Jesus Christ, it's as if the moon isn't there. It's as if the law is no longer there, and therefore we have no more condemnation. Because Christ himself fulfills the demands of the law. And Jesus gives the answer to the scribe. Okay, so if following the law in sincerity aren't going to get you reconciled with God, then what is going to get me in the kingdom? What is going to have me, uh, allow me to be reconciled to God? Well, when Jesus says you are not far from the kingdom of God, it's not only a statement of this man's spiritual standing, it's a literal statement that you are not far from the kingdom of God. I'm sitting right here. Here I am. The embodiment of the kingdom right before you. Turn to me. This is the hallmark of Jesus' ministry and how he opens it up in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, for those of us who are already Christians, we know all too well our need for daily repentance. As Martin Luther said, all of the Christian life is repentance. But the kind of repentance that Jesus is talking about is not the kind of repentance that we're talking about on a daily basis, but actually the work of conversion, where God has come into your life in such a powerful way that you're actually able to see yourself as you are. You're able to get honest that when the law is read out to you, you completely crumble under it. You realize, I don't love God with all that I am. I don't love my neighbor as myself. And I'm headed in the wrong direction. I need to go in a different direction. These are the vows that were witnessed to us today in the baptism service. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your savior? There requires a repentance, a turning toward the Lord Jesus Christ. But repent and believe. That is to trust, rely, and depend on the Lord Jesus Christ for everything. Those of us who find ourselves under the condemnation of the law run for refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ where there is grace and truth and mercy And we put our whole trust in his grace and love and promise to follow and obey him as our Lord. 
that we give ourselves fully over to him, knowing that he is the only name given under heaven and on earth for health and salvation. And yet, if we were to all examine our own lives about where we stand in the kingdom of God, I would ask you, is God a part of your story or are you a part of his? Is he a player in your plans or are you living into him? Is he just a part of your life or are you found in him? The first thing that has to happen for us to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ is to fall under the condemnation that we are in big trouble. Growing up, going to Pauly's Island, uh, I was used to swimming around the beach. Uh, I I love it. And when Lauren and I were in Beaufort, South Carolina, a buddy of mine said, I'm going to Pauly's. Would you drive up and join me? Absolutely. Now, Pauly's is known for its rip currents, for its undertoes. And that week, they had been so strong. In fact, two people had died from drowning at Pauly's Island. And yet, when you're in your 20s and you grew up with it, you're invincible. And so he and I went into the water and we got about 100 yards out where all of a sudden my friend Tom says, do you feel that? We didn't even know it. And as soon as he said it, that's when I felt it. My eyes were open to it. And it was a rip current that I had never experienced before. I'd felt them before, but nothing like this, where it actually felt like someone had a hold of my body and was pulling me out and under. Now, Tom was only five feet away from me, and yet he was able to extricate himself from the rip current. And he asked me, Andrew, are you okay? I said, oh, yeah, I got it. I'm fine. And I mean, what do they tell you when you're caught in an undertow? Swim parallel, right? Well, let me tell you, if you've ever been caught in a really strong one, all that falls out of your ear. And you panic. And so I began to swim furiously, and Tom keeps asking me, are you all right? And finally I said, I am not all right. Help me. And so they had to form a human chain in order to pull me up to shore, and as I sat there on shore, afraid, uh, exhausted, it dawned on me that that's exactly what our lives look like, that you and I are caught in the riptide of sin. And no matter how hard we try to extricate ourselves from it, No amount of swimming parallel to the shore is going to get us out. And therefore, all we need to do is to cry out for mercy, to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ who stands on the shore and cry out, rescue me. I believe that you're the only one who can rescue me right now. Now, what if Jesus were standing over on the shore as you're about to go under and you cry out, Jesus, save me. And he says, swim harder. No, not that way. Oh, no, tread. No, oh, no, parallel. Where would that leave us? At the bottom of the ocean. Is that the kind of Savior that we have? No. Jesus leaves the safety of the shore and dives into the riptide of sin and establishes us safely on that shore while he himself gets sucked in by the riptide and dies himself. Friends in life, 
We don't need a swim coach. We need a lifeguard. We need someone who is going to come in and save us from the mess that we are in. So where are you? Are you not far from the kingdom of God? Are you striving to extricate yourself from the riptide of sin by some way that is a dead end? Or are you realizing the power and work of the law in your life to open your eyes that you are indeed in need of rescue and that you cry out, Lord Jesus, save me. And just by doing that, simple as it is, by calling upon his name, he dives in and he places you safely on the shore of his kingdom. So friends, repent and believe today, cry out for mercy, and be made a citizen in God's kingdom. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray that we would know the great danger that we are in. And that we are caught in the riptide of sin and all our efforts to get out have left us exhausted and hopeless. Lord, help us from keeping you being just a swim coach, but that you would be our lifeguard. We pray that our hearts might be changed so that we might cry out, Lord Jesus, save me. I put my trust only in your saving work, your cross and resurrection. And I turn to you today that I might live and be made your child and a citizen of your kingdom. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.